Somebody say attention. Attention. Attention is something that we pretty much see in games. We see its importance, you know, as a Formula One driver is going down the track. He needs a lot of attention. You're operating a vehicle that is going well over 100 miles an hour, sometimes 200 miles an hour. It requires a lot of attention. If you look inside of an operating room, that doctor, technician, nurse, practitioner who's holding that scalpel or utilizing that medical instrument requires a lot of attention. You parents, as you are, you know, dealing with a transitioning toddler, infant, who's going from, you know, uh, mashed up food to solid foods, you require a lot of attention. Walk away and leave the child on his own or her own, and all of a sudden, something that seems so mundane and easy for you and I might be a perilous occasion if that child is not watched, ends up choking on on that piece of fruit or whatever it may be. Attention is needed. If attention permeates our lives and it, it touches our games, it touches our professions, it touches our homes, then, you know, why wouldn't attention touch our spiritual lives? And what I want to focus in on today is the fact that God is on the move. Say amen. God is always moving. The reality, though, is that we might not be attentive to his move. God is always on the throne, fulfilling and accomplishing things in his sovereignty. But we, are we attentive to what he's doing, where he's going, what he's longing for? And so I want you to focus with me today on this idea of attention. And I want you to pay attention Because God is moving, and we don't quite necessarily see how his move comes into our lives. And if we look at the story of Ruth, and we continue in our series that we've been doing starting from last week called Loyal Love, we're taking a look at the wonderful story, the novella that is this book of the Bible. And today, I want you to start tracing some of God's moves. And if you look closely, you're going to find and trace the kindness of God. And when you see that kindness in this story, my hope and desire is that you can start tracing the kindness of God in your life, that you can be, you know, uh, motivated and compelled to choose kindness for your life so that you can get to see and be attentive and attuned to God's move on your life, your home, your family, your work, in every aspect. So if you're with me, say amen. Ruth chapter 2. In reality, I'm just going to read the last verse of chapter 1. And it says this. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by her daughter-in-law Ruth, the young Moabite woman, They arrived in Bethlehem in late spring at the beginning of the barley harvest. Now, there was a wealthy and influential man in Bethlehem named Boaz, 
who was a relative of Naomi's husband, Elimelech. One day, Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go out into the harvest fields to pick up the stalks of grain left behind by anyone who is kind enough to let me do it. Naomi replied, all right, my daughter, go ahead. So Ruth went out to gather grain behind the harvesters. And as it happened, she found herself working in a field that belonged to Boaz, the relative of her father-in-law, Elimelech, although she knew nothing of Boaz. While she was there, Boaz arrived from Bethlehem and greeted the harvesters. The Lord be with you, he said. The Lord bless you, the harvesters replied. And we'll park it there. Father, I just thank you that today you're in this place and that you're moving in lives and speaking to hearts through your holy presence. Lord, I pray that you would move upon hearts today to say yes to you whenever you're calling. Lord, that people who are searching and yearning for answers would find your voice within their hearts. Father, for those who are longing for relationship, who need to start or renew a relationship with you, that today, Father, they say, it is my day, and I will answer the voice of God. Lord, for those who are looking for a place to call home, a faith family, a faith home, I pray, Lord, that today they would say, I have found that place in this church. And Lord, I pray that today your Holy Spirit would speak and declare the kindness and the goodness of your mighty hand over every life and individual who is not, I declare, not a victim, not defeated, not overturned and overruled, but Father, every man and woman at the sound of my voice, here and online, that they are victorious and that they are overcomers and that they're moving forward in faith in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people say, amen. amen. All right, I want you to say your faith confession with me. We got that ready? So I want you, let's stand real quick. I want, I want you to just wake up a little bit and get ready because we're going to have some fun in the Word. Uh, stand up with me. We got some words up on the screen. I want to say it all together on three. Ready? One, two, three. The applied Word of God will change my life instantly. I actively embrace and embody its teachings. Pleasing God is my purpose. I walk in faith, not sight. I claim promises, pursue passionately, and prosper as my soul prospers. My faith is proof in Jesus' name. Amen. Tell your neighbor, that's for you. That's right. Let him tell it to you back. It's for me. That's right. Praise God. All right, friends. As we continue in this series here, we're just continuing in the conversation with Ruth. Let me set the context for those of you who weren't with us last week. We have this woman named Naomi. She was married to a man named Elimelech. Elimelech uh, was from the area of Bethlehem. There was a famine in the land, and so they left Bethlehem and Judah, and they go to a place called Moab because the grass was greener on that side of the earth. And they go over there, and while they're there, Elimelech dies, leaving Naomi widowed. She has two sons, Malion and Kilion, and these boys marry Moabite women. They get married, live there for 10 years, but then the sons also die. After those sons die, Naomi is like, what am I to do? 
I'm a widow. I'm destitute. Life is difficult. There is no hope for me. And I can't bear any kids. So I don't have any progeny. I don't have any descendants. I don't have anyone that will take care of me. And now my daughters-in-law have fulfilled their obligations to me. I have no sons that they can remarry. Go back home, she says to them. And we realized last week, we saw how Ruth decided that she was going to stick close to Naomi. And so both of them decide to come back to Judah. Make a journey from Moab to Judah. And here's what I want to bring to your attention first and foremost within this context. This is what you're going to say again and again today. Hope you keep this and take it home. Let it be burned in your heart. Say it, say, say it after me. Kindness travels. Say to your neighbor, kindness travels. See, the kindness of God traveled to the land and it blessed the land. At one point, there was a blessing in Moab and now there seems to be a blessing of God also again in Judah, in Bethlehem. So Naomi, who's in the midst of sorrow and destitution and she has no hope, she says, I've got to go back home. And as we mentioned last week, Bethlehem means the house of bread. God has brought back the bread to his house. He's brought it back to his land. And so God has blessed the land, the fields of Bethlehem, and has set the stage for the travel plans. Friends, God is setting the stage all around us. He is setting the stage and preparing things, opportunities. He is orchestrating details. He's allowing leadership to rise and fall. He's electing people. He's putting things and places in position. And all around us, God is moving. God moved. His kindness traveled to the land of Judah. Naomi hears of God's goodness and kindness amid the barrenness of Moab, and she decides, I've got to go back home. So as you open up in chapter 2, this woman and her daughter-in-law are traveling back home, hoping that God's goodness and blessing, his kindness that has been showed, will now be evident and available to them. Are you with me so far? But I want you to take a look at God's kindness. Because it tells us here in verse 1 of chapter 2 that there's this wealthy man in this land. We don't know exactly how wealthy he is or what's going on. But God starts setting the stage, introducing another character into the story. It tells us in verse 22 of chapter 1 that God brought them. He created the atmosphere, blessed the land, set the stage. And now these women arrive in Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. This is around March or April of our calendar year. And this is exactly the moment where the house of bread, Bethlehem, is being filled once more with bread at the beginning of the harvest. This is God's providence in bringing them at this time. Why did my husband die? Why did, why did my sons die? Why did all this happen? Why are we moving right now? God orchestrates the details, brings the provision on the land, and now they move exactly at this time. Two women 
who are widowed have no outcome, no future. A lot of uncertainty. And God creates the stage, puts out an invitation, shows kindness, and it makes it attractive for them to move exactly at this time. They arrive at the beginning of the barley harvest. Well, if you're not a farmer, like I'm not, you'll realize if you look and dig and understand the culture and context, barley was the first harvest of the year. So God lines up Ruth and Naomi to come back to Judah at exactly the beginning of the harvest season. He doesn't bring them in the middle or the end. He brings them at the very beginning. Once barley is harvested, later on he's going to harvest another thing. Then it'll be wheat. Then it'll be something else. And so God brings them at the very beginning because God is setting them up. God is bringing these ladies who have no outcome and no hope. He brings them at the time when the food would be relatively plentiful. It would be abundant. And they would be around to benefit. I don't know if you've paid attention to this in your life, but God doesn't set us up so that he can give us meager crumbs. I have never experienced God setting me up and lining me up and directing my path so that he can give me a measly crumb. I have found God to be perfect in his timing and bring exactly the abundance that I need. See, God is concerned to set you up in the right way, in the right order. How many of you have experienced that in your life? That God orchestrated details that went beyond what you thought you needed. I see some hands. God is faithful in lining up the details. A few years ago, I, I did a message called "The Devil." Uh, God is in the details, playing off that saying that the devil is in the details. No, God is in the details. He orchestrates these ladies to come back exactly at this time. And he says, look, ladies, I know you don't have much, but hey, you're going to have plenty. How many of you can praise God for that? I'm going to set you up for plenty. God's kindness travels to the land. But I want us to pick up the story and keep looking at the meat and potatoes here of what God wants to do. While this lady was there, actually go, go down to uh, verse 6. So verse 5, when Boaz asked the foreman, after he greets, he shows up. By the way, God lines them up to arrive in Judah and Bethlehem, right when Boaz is also arriving on the scene. He brings them at the point in time where this man who's going to oversee his crops and take a look at his foreman and all of his workers and look at his business and understand what's happening in his lands, in his fields, at the very beginning of the season, this man is showing up to be engaged and in the process. That's when God sends these two women. All right, so take a look with me, verse Five. When Boaz asked his foreman, who is this young woman over there? Who does she belong to? Before I get into the next thing, let me, let me just uh, ask just the ladies. Guys, don't say anything. 
Ladies, how does this sit with you? Uh, who's that young woman over there? Who does she belong to? Who does she belong? Hey, Don, who do you belong to? Excuse me? What you talking about? Who do I belong to? Who do I belong Excuse me? I'm my own boss girl. Come on now. Belong to somebody or someone. I don't belong to nobody. I'm an independent woman. What you talking about? It sounds like to me, as I read that at face value, I look at this and I'm saying, man, this guy is so out of touch writing this book. Like this won't fly. This won't work in today's hypersensitive culture. You know, you look around and there is feminism going around. There's this going around, that going around. You, you got to be politically correct. You can't offend. You got to just say the right things at the right time in the right way. You can't speak truth. You got to just, you know, kind of walk on eggshells. Who does think he is saying who does she belong to well if you look behind the curtain though and you start to to process here comes this man who is wealthy who has land has a business has workers working for him he shows up and he spots somebody that he doesn't know working on his fields this is a man who's aware of his business this is a man who understands and knows his employees. This is a man who cares about those who are under his employ. And he realizes there's somebody out of place here. Who is she? But he asked the question, who does she belong to? Now, before you get super sensitive and you say, you know what? That is just rude. That's wrong. Like the Bible uh, just doesn't work today. I can't speak the Bible to all my friends because they're going to get offended. Let me just talk to you about what that means. Here is a man who understands the reality of his day. Boaz is living in a time, if you just go back and read chapter one, it says that in the times of the judges, right? We're living in the times of the judges where everybody did right in their own eyes and no one cared about God, they had no king. And so people would do things that they thought was right but always ended up being painful and hurtful, getting them in trouble again and again. And honestly, there was a time, and, and what was happening in this time was that, you know, the depravity of the world around them was so difficult. I'll invite you to really, like, wrestle with God. Here's your homework. Go read Judges chapter 19. Write that down. Go read Judges chapter 19 and read about the concubine. Read about what was happening in the area of Bethlehem when a man shows up from out of town and he has his family with him and he shows up to do what God has called him to do. He's traveling and there the people show up and they ask, oh, can you come on out at night? Come out here because we want to have our way with you. Hint, hint. The town's people wanted to have their way in bed with this man. This man is so overcome. Things happen. Terrible things. Depraved things. But in this man's desperation and in this man's hurt and pain, he does something almost as a moral shout, a cry to showcase the pain and sorrow, the brokenness of their society. And that concubine, let me just say she doesn't survive. And everybody finds out what happened. And they get to see, look, you caused this to happen. 
Go read that chapter, and I want you to realize this is the context that Boaz lives in, where rape is common, where abuse and assault is rampant. So Boaz sees a woman that doesn't belong to his workers, and she says, who does she belong to? What he's saying is, look, this woman, does she have a husband? Look, does this woman have a brother? Is there a father in the mix? What family is she connected to? Who is watching out for her? Because she's out here working in the fields of barley that is high and that is very filled with men who are young and filled with hormones. It is very easy for her to be assaulted in the midst of her work and nobody will see her. Who is watching out for this young lady? So before you get it twisted and say, who does he, she belong to? This is a man who is traveling with compassion, with kindness. Who does she belong to? And you'll notice in the story how he makes provisions for her to be cared for and watched over so that she may not even have the opportunity, the, 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 the minor chance that somebody will mistreat her or abuse her. We got to look behind the, behind the scenes and peek under the hood to get some of the culture and the mannerisms and the customs to find out what is going on. But that's besides the point. I want you to take a look with me. What does this man now say to this young woman, Boaz then, once he realizes what the man says, she's a young woman from Moab. She's come back with Naomi. She asked me this morning if she could gather grain behind the harvesters. She has been heard at, hard at work ever since, except for a few minutes of rest in the shelter. So Boaz goes over to this young woman, Ruth, and he says, listen, my daughter. Stay right here. Stay right here with us as you gather grain. Don't go to other fields. Stay right here behind our young women. Stay right here in my field. See which part of the field that they're harvesting and follow them. I have warned the young men not to treat you roughly. I have warned them to not touch you. And when you're thirsty, go help yourself to the water that they have drawn from the well. And I love this interchange because Ruth is immediately overcome with the kindness of this man who approached her saying, daughter, here's a woman who's far away from her home, far away from her family, away from her culture, and a man approaches her endearingly and says, daughter. He calms her fears. And right after she says, sir, what have I done to deserve such kindness? I'm only a foreigner. Yes, I know. But I also know everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. Friends, kindness travels. And I want you to understand that kindness goes before you. It precedes you. I also know everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother in your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully. 
for what you have done. If you ever have a chance to choose what precedes you, Anthony, choose kindness. If you ever have a chance to pick what will go, what reputation will move beyond you and arrive before you get there, choose kindness. Because kindness has a way of traveling. You think that what you're doing over here in this moment is secluded and in secret. The Bible tells us what God allows us to practice in private, he will reward us in public. If you have a chance to choose what will go before you, just realize things will go before you. You take an action and you have a response. You have an interchange, a dialogue with somebody. Understand that will not stay just right here. It's going to travel. It's going to get around. And here, the kindness of this woman, Ruth, towards her, her mother-in-law, Naomi, all of those actions traveled. And what I'm trying to say to you guys is if you have a chance to really curate your reputation, choose kindness. The word reputation, you can get a reputation for a one-time thing. But more often than not, a reputation is built on consistency. It's built on repetitive action. Here was a woman who had an incident. Her husband died, might have died on December 1st. But yet, on December 2nd, on the 3rd, on the 4th, on the 5th, in January, in February, in August, in September, and next December, and years and years down the road, she has still remained faithful to Naomi. And she stayed with her faithfully. Consistency. We just had a church fast, right? And we do it at the beginning of the year. What I want you to understand when it comes to your reputation and with your kindness, it's not something that you take a foray into. You take an expedition and you do it once in a while. Yes, we do a corporate fast once a year. Maybe we'll do it a couple of other times. But when it comes to your reputation, it has to be something consistent and repetitive. It comes in day in and day out. It happens again and again because that is what is going to precede you. There was a gentleman by the name of, his nickname was actually uh, Shotgun Shuba. George Shotgun Shuba, he played several years ago on the Brooklyn Dodgers, seven seasons. He was playing at the time of Jackie Robinson when the racial divide, you know, was, was coming at a head and all of that was bridged in the game of baseball. He's the man who extended a hand and shook Jackie Robinson's hand and said, man, you did great after he knocked out that home run on his first game. This man was known and referred to on interviews and newspapers as the man who had a swing as natural as a smile. Imagine that. You're known to be a baseball player and your swing is just so natural. It's like it's part of you. It's, just, it's just, just as easy as you smile, you have a swing in baseball. And he was effective and efficient at the game. But he challenged that notion. In an interview, he showed up and he said, look, you call my swing natural like a smile. Let me just give you some insight. I swung a 44-ounce bat 600 times a night. 4,200 times a week. 47,200 times every single winter. In my humble opinion, 
No one is a natural. Sure, some people are more naturally gifted than others, but unless that giftedness is coupled with complementary work ethic, it will only result in wasted potential. Your reputation wants to go before you. But if it is not coupled with arduous work ethic, with a consistent intent decision to do the act that is right, to pursue righteousness, to do what is true and continue in it day in and day out, it would only amount to wasted potential. It's all about reps, is what Michael Phelps would say. Laps, laps, laps. I'm going to be kind to my neighbor today, and then every other time you meet them, you are horrible. No, no, no. Reps upon reps. Swing upon swing. It is consistency. It is repetition. It is coming back again and again. Kindness travels before you. Put this into our vernacular. It is us actively praying. We pray as if it depends on God, but we work as if it depends on us. We do it not just one time, but we do it every time. Kindness goes before you because kindness travels. Proverbs 21, 21, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. I think Ruth in this moment found that her kindness preceded her. It showed up in the ears of Boaz. And now this man says, hey, stay in my field. Don't you go anywhere. I've told the people who are gathering water to give you some of their own. I've told the ladies that they should help you get acclimated and you should be able to glean and take what you need in this moment. Now take a look with me at verse 10. She says, as she fell to her feet, fell at his feet, she's on the ground. Just imagine that picture. And she thanked them warmly. What have I done to deserve such kindness? I am only a foreigner. And if you read later, verse 13, she'll say, I'm not even one of your workers. Friends, kindness travels. It goes beyond your own. You might want kindness to stay here local, but kindness reaches internationally. It goes regionally. It crosses the aisle. Kindness blows over and it goes all over. Ruth was absolutely amazed at how Boaz was treating her so well and he was so compassionate and kind towards her. Even though she wasn't on his payroll, she was not a woman that carried, you know, the same passport as him. She held a totally, entirely different social economic standing than he. Yet she is completely immersed in his kindness. Boaz had dignified this destitute widow by treating her as if she was the same as him, on par with him, on par with his own people, presumably as if she was an Israelite worker herself. See, kindness, the loyal love caliber kind of kindness, 
It cares not for employee badges, alumni rosters, voter registrations, or passports. It wastes no time evaluating DEI scores or personal pronouns. No, kindness travels. Turn to your neighbor and say, it travels. It extends to members of your team, but also to colleagues across departments. Kindness is appropriate for your household, but also for the panhandler on the street corner. Kindness is appropriate in every setting to all people in all places because kindness yearns to leave the confines of your mind. And dare I say it, it yearns to leave the context of these four walls, our church. Kindness yearns to get out and get moving. It wants to break free and go beyond your own. It must travel for kindness is not dependent upon agreeableness, but it is predicated on intrinsic value. What value, Pastor Brian? Let us make man in our image and likeness. Male and female, let us create them. Yeah, yeah, but, but you know what, Pastor? Um, it's so much harder to love the person you know, who sits in the cubicle beside me because they just end up showing, you know, every time how they're amazing and they try to throw me under the bus every time and they make digs and they do this and that and whatever. So it's so much easier for me to love my child and just see how beautiful they are than for me to love my colleague. And on the flip side, uh, pastor, it's so much easier for me to go out in the world and love everybody else. But you know what? The people who live with me, man, they need grace. They need Jesus. Pray for them. No, kindness is predicated on intrinsic value, not on agreeableness. It has nothing to do whether you agree with that person or not, whether you're on the same page or not, whether you have the same passport, you vote the same way, you, you, you guys have the same amount of money in your bank account, you go on the same vacations. It doesn't matter. Kindness is predicated on value of which every human being that you encounter is filled with it. Because God says so. Let us make human beings in our image and likeness. And that right there settled the matter. Who should I be kind to? Your neighbor, your spouse, your child, that stranger, your enemy, everyone. Kindness travels beyond its own. As I was looking at verse 12, go, go over there with me. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. I can't help but think of why Boaz chose these words. May the God of Israel, and he pictures God as a mother hen who has her wings extended to bring in little chicks and let them feel the warmth, the safety, the security, the reward of being under his care. If you study the story of Boaz, you're going to realize that this man is demonstrating here a kindness that travels generations. Say generations. 
several decades before Boaz and Ruth ever met, Joshua sent out two spies to look at the promised land. They left the land of Egypt and God had promised a promised land to this people and he sends out spies to go scope it out. And two spies come back with a positive report. If you read Joshua, you'll find that story. And when they get to a place called Jericho, it is a, build, a, a fortress city with mighty walls and, and incredible workers, mighty soldiers. The spies who show up into that Canaanite land, find a woman lodging in the walls, and her name is Rahab. A woman who herself was destitute. A woman who was forced into prostitution in order to provide for her family. She does something that is not admirable because she feels like she has no recourse. And she finds favor with these men, and she asks for favor. They make her a promise when she promises to take care of them by not reporting them to the authorities, but helping them with information. She just asks, please remember me when you guys come to take over the city. And that promise is kept. That woman who felt like she had no opportunity and no future is given a vow, and that vow holds true. And after that day, Rahab remained in the land with the people who gave her a reward. With the God who gave her a reward. Rahab chose to serve God, and God redeemed her life in his kindness. He brought kindness into her in the form of a spouse. She marries a man by the name of Salmon, and Salmon is the father Rahab is the mother of Boaz. Kindness will traverse generations. What she saw God do for what he saw God do for her mother, for his mother. Now he is extending as he says, "May God reward you." I don't know how, in what shape, in what way, but may God who blessed my mom and brought her out of her desperation May God also bring you into peace, a future, and a reward. Because God is a God that traverses generations. Friends, I don't know how faithful God has been in your family tree. But if he was faithful before, he will be so again. I don't know if you are the first one who's come to understand and know God like Rahab came for the first time. And now she has impacted her generations. Maybe that's you. God will be faithful to you and that faith will go and kindness will traverse and travel down to your children, to your grandkids. Because he pays and he blesses to a thousand generations. God is faithful. The son is Boaz. And Father, I don't know, I'm, I'm praying, I'm praying over my kids, I'm praying over this day. It seems like everything's corrupt and everything is difficult and how can we actually live kind lives in today's context? Everything is so much worse and so crazy. Remember again, Judges 19, things were dire and desperate. And if God could have done it with this man in that time, God can do it today. God is faithful. Oh, no, in that, that time it was easier. No, no, and today is harder. No, 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 there is nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. 
There is nothing new. If you could be kind before, you can be kind now. If they modeled it then, we can live it now. Because kindness travels. As the team comes, comes on up, let me just give you one more. We got a few others, but we're running out of time. Kindness travels from heaven to earth. See, kindness travels. It tells us in the Message Bible, verse 13, the message paraphrase of the Bible, oh, sir, such grace, such kindness, I don't deserve it. You've touched my heart, treated me like one of your own, and I don't even belong here. Friends, if you can pick anything, Pick to be kind. As you move and operate in this world, allow your kindness to go before you. Make it your habit. Make it your plan. Because kindness reaches beyond. It compels you forward. It changes the atmosphere. It breaks down barriers. It's modeled when kindness came from heaven to earth. How many like Ruth can say, Father, I don't deserve it. See, I saw this modeled in my own life time and time again through professing faithful men and women of God where they have treated me beyond my station beyond my current failures and faults. I saw it in my pastor who reached into my life when I was making a total mess of my life. I saw kindness preceding a woman who had been divorced and had a child and yet somehow she had this phenomenal relationship with her ex and she oozed love for this man. Her kindness moved beyond her and it reached into the depths of my heart and it made it attractive to me to say yes to Jesus. And all of those actions and all of those moments and the times that I've seen it in my life and the life of those around me, it all is based on the model that kindness traveled from heaven to earth. That Jesus Christ said, Lord, I will go on your behalf. If he can say, I choose the path of kindness, can we not say, Lord, I need to look into it at the very least. For it was his kindness that led him to the table and says, I make a new covenant with you. He takes the bread, he breaks it, says, this is my body that is broken for you. That is the act of kindness traveling from heaven to earth and saying it is for you. Who says, a new covenant will be made in my blood as I willingly spill it for you. For life is in the blood and death reigns in your bodies and in your souls. But I am going to shed my blood that it may cover the multitude of sins, satisfying the righteous judgment of God. That kindness 
has preceded all of us and it reaches into our hearts. Pastor Eddie was talking about youth convention and students. Really, it's important that we invest in the next generation. It's important that we sow kindness, that we sow mercy, that we share. I was reading a story of a pastor and a couple of youth workers who were getting ready for an all-nighter. They had 30 rambunctious teenagers together in a room and lots of activities and things to do and keeping them all night long and engaged and out of trouble. He started playing tennis with one of the students, uh, table tennis, ping pong. And they're playing, the game gets heated and it's, it's really intense and, and the student is good, the pastor is good and they're going back and forth and they're three points away from, from the game. Tensions are high. Excitement is there. But this girl named Tracy, who was brand new and came for the first time, she was there. She saw them playing. She reached over after a serve and grabbed the ping pong ball. She just held it. And here's this pastor and this other student who are intensely in this battle, duking it out for, for creds, for bragging rights, for the trophy interested in moving forward and, and, and finishing this game and getting the matter settled. Immediately what came up and surged within this pastor was, well, what are you doing? Give me the ball. Come on, you're messing us up. Like, we're playing a game here. But he didn't say anything because he had thought about, hey, we were just covering the fruits of the Spirit and kindness is one of them. And so he stopped, as did the student. And they started talking to Tracy, connecting with Tracy, finding out about her and laughing with her. The game faded from their mind and it definitely faded from her purview. The time came for them to share the message. They, they preached the gospel and then a bunch of students ran to that altar to get their lives right with Jesus and say, Lord, thank you for the kindness that traverses heaven and comes to earth that you will die for me that I may live Jesus thank you for your sacrifice as seven eight nine ten students start coming up among them is Tracy who gives her heart to Jesus and has an encounter with him at that altar as they share testimonies at the end, it comes time for Tracy to speak up and she says, I grew up in a home that is broken. It's chaos at my house and I feel no kindness there. And I am of the persuasion that I can only get attention in that context when I make people mad. That's the only time they give me the light of day, they pay attention to me or engage with me when I make my family mad. At least it's some attention. But today I saw something different. 
when I instigated in my own MO and I picked up that ping pong ball and I disrupted the game, I was not met with madness and anger, unkindness. Instead, I found something different. I don't really understand all that you said tonight, but what I do understand is this. I want what you have. If this is what God is about, then I want what you all have. I say yes to him on the basis of his kindness towards me. Church, this is what it's about. Our kindness will travel. God is setting up the stage all around us. Just take a look and pay attention. He's orchestrating details for you before you even get there. Yeah, but this person did this against me and they're, 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 they're you know, planning my downfall. That's all right. God is lining things up for you in the background. Your kindness goes beyond your own. It's not just for you to show kindness to your family and your loved one. You need to show kindness to everyone because it's going before you. It'll be the attractive thing that people say yes to. Not you, but Jesus in you. 